So my guest today is a pretty stinking awesome guy. Uh, his name is Paul Metcalf. Um, he is a pastor in Walters, Oklahoma, and I'll have to say, uh, I've known him for mm, a few years, but I mean, we haven't been overly close, but it was really a, a unique situation where he was able to come to uh, Columbus to see some of the um, seniors in um, our church graduate from high school, and he was able to bring his daughter and uh, it was it was such a cool time to be able to just just be around him. He is such a cool guy, and uh, he is a great communicator of God's word. Um, both I've I mean I've seen him um, preach, and I've seen him lead small groups, um, devotional sessions. It's it's pretty awesome just to be around the guy. Um, it's 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 always a pleasure to just talk with him. Um, he's one of those people that just make you want to serve Jesus more. Um, so I, I really, really value his friendship, uh, his relationship, and uh, it's pretty stinking cool. Um, one of the things we were talking about on the interview uh, was a man being a man. This is a continual topic that just seems to keep getting brought up and brought up. And, and one of the things that was really uh, interesting that, that Paul brought up for us was that um, a man truly being a man as God created him to be is to be a servant. And it's really interesting because a lot of times when we think about being a man and things like that, um, there's the, uh, you know, the, the provider aspect to it, you know, where we, you know, you know the primitive sort of side where you want to go out, you want to hunt, you want to provide meat and, and, and uh, shelter and different things like that for your woman. But this was sort of an interesting um, take on that in that, yes, we want to have that, that, that we're not saying to do away with that necessarily. What we're saying, though, is that a lot of times women will have a have trouble trusting men uh, and rightfully so. I mean, if you look at the history, a lot of times a man will not be present in their life and be acting. Um, I don't know if that's even the right. Uh, they will not act as though God created them to be. Um, and so when that happens, there's a lack of trust that takes place. But what would happen if we had a new generation of men that were totally servant leaders? I mean, exactly like Christ was when he was here. Um, if you think about it, Christ never took advantage of the church. He was always a servant to the church. Uh, he was always the one who was willing to bend over backwards. Um, and that's how we're to treat women. And when that takes place, when somebody is a servant to you, somebody is, um, they're, they're wanting to not just sit back and be served, but willing to jump up and to serve, when that takes place, man, I'm, I'm probably going to be way more willing to trust that person than I am going to be to trust the person that just treats me like trash. The person that um, isn't willing to go the extra mile. The person that um, really kind of uses me. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a step back and go, gee, that's a no-brainer. Why would I ever want to trust the, the second person? 
Um, I'm going to trust the first person. And so it was, it was a really good conversation about uh, a man being a man. Um, really cool thing about his call, and, and it's not that he had just one call, uh, but that he had two. Um, so that's pretty cool that he, he explains what he means by that. Um, I know a lot of times that when we feel like we have a call on our life or God is leading us towards a certain um, either a vocation or a career or, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess we, we use the word call a lot of times and it's kind of a generic word that we like to hide behind. But if God's leading you towards a certain thing, um, he would be, I guess, quote, calling you. But if he's leading you towards something, towards being a pastor, a missionary, you know, where, where the ministry seems to be uh, your full time uh, deal. Or if he's leading you towards something else that is also your full-time deal, but it might not fall under necessarily the, quote, ministry category, I guess, the, the norm. So, But whenever he's leading you towards that, um, a lot of times I think, and this is just me, but I, a lot of times I think we look at God and go, ah, I don't think you know what you're talking about. You know, I don't. I don't really know if you're actually talking to me or if this is just a broad statement that might hit everybody in a general area and let's go with that. And so it's really not specifically for me, but really God has this specific thing that he wants you to do. Um, and a lot of times too, I think that we'll look at our situation, our current situation. I know I'm guilty of this. We'll look at our current situation and go, well, there's no way that I can minister in this situation, I'm supposed to be in this other situation. And when I'm there, then, then I can fully minister the way that I'm supposed to. Uh, then I can minister. If I have these conditions in place, then I can go all in, then I can whatever. But see, the problem that we run into is if we're not able to minister where we're at in doing what we're doing now, then God's never going to be able to trust us with things that are down the road, things that are bigger than this situation that you're in. And so I look at that and I go, man, be, try to minister where you're at now. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it's an extremely difficult situation. Sometimes it's a situation where you're wanting to pull your hair out constantly. Uh, I get it. I totally get that. But Minister where you're at now. Do your best now. And later on down the road, God will bless you um, with possibly a different situation. Or he might bless you in your current situation and open your eyes to something that you might not have seen there before. And it becomes this blessing that you didn't even know was in front of you the entire time. So minister where you're at now. Uh, one of the really cool things uh, when when Paul was in Columbus uh, ministering to us, I don't even know if he meant to necessarily, but he certainly did, uh, was he said, when you're out in your neighborhoods, you guys need to go and reach out to your neighbors. And, and the phrase that he used, which I absolutely love, was go and neighbor your hood. Neighbor your hood. I thought that was pretty stinking cool. Um, pretty great phrase. Maybe we'll put it on a t-shirt. I don't know. I just think it's a great phrase. Go and neighbor your hood. Are you neighbors, truly neighborly to your neighbors? 
Uh, I know personally, a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll give them a wave, say hi, maybe, but that's about the extent of what I'm doing with my neighbors. And really in all actuality, we should be, we should be getting into their lives. God has his place there for a specific reason, a specific purpose. He has his place there intentionally so that we can go out and neighbor our hood. And so looking at that, when's the last time you went over to your neighbor and just talked with them? I mean, we're not talking about going over there and hassling them and trying to get them to go on, man, you should really come to church because if you don't come to church, you're probably not going to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus even before you come to church, well, I can help you out now. But I mean, if you're really going to go down this path, then you really need to start looking at membership. No, no, no. We're not talking about all that kind of stuff. We're just talking about going and having a conversation, getting to know them. Hey, we talked about that trust thing earlier, uh, and it's not just with women. It can be with anybody. Go and be a servant to your neighbors. If you're a servant to your neighbors, don't you think they're going to be a lot more likely to listen to what you have to say? They're going to be way more likely to listen to why you do what you do. Go and neighbor your hood, as Paul said. Pretty stinking cool advice, if you ask me. So I really enjoyed having this this interview with Paul. Uh, He's an awesome guy. Uh, Walters, Oklahoma, baby, the booming metropolis of Walters, Oklahoma. Um, he's a pretty cool guy was in the military and we're, we'll touch base on that in the interview, but just really thoroughly enjoyed being around him, uh, getting to be ministered, um, to by him. Um, even though he might not have meant to, he certainly did. So that being said, let's start the show. Yes. <laughs> you got me straight up tripping, boo. You dipping and dapping and don't know what's happening. They was grabbing hankies, waving blankies. They was running them aisles up in there. I respect your opinion. You're wrong. He's big, he's bald, he's brazen, he's Nick Jones. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, My name is Nick Jones, and thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Helms podcast. We have today with us the one and the only Paul Metcalf. Thanks for being with us today, Paul. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, He is uh, in town from Oklahoma. Where at in Oklahoma? Walters, Oklahoma. The booming metropolis of absolutely how many people is in, in walters about 2300 Ooh. do you guys have a stoplight we have a blinking light yes it oh. doesn't actually function as a stoplight oh that's, that's good that's good and what do you do in walters oklahoma well i am the lead pastor or senior pastor of the walters church of the nazarene awesome and then we met a few years back a mission trip to mexico right in Monclova. Yeah, great picture of you and I on a bench in the park having a pretty deep conversation, if you remember. I do remember that. Yeah. I do. Um, so we were, it was really, that was a cool mission trip that we got to be on. And so, uh, but um, 
I noticed too some of the things uh, I was I was trying to bone up on your background here, trying to find out what's going on with this guy. Yeah, that's frightening. Yeah, I know. There's man, I, it was hard to wade through the skeletons that were in the closet. Just imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things I saw that that piqued my interest there. You were in the military. Yes. What did you what where what branch? What did you do in the military? I was a um, army um, artillery officer. I okay. spent 28 years in the service. So. Wow. That's a long time. It was. Now, did you know that you were called to be a minister before the military? Or was that more afterwards? Yes, Nick. You know, I, my first call, um, I was 17. My dad was the preacher of a little church in Redway, California, Nazarene Church. And I was working with the youth and still attending high school myself and felt a clear sense of calling to ministry. And of course, I did what all good Christians do. I panicked and (laughs) ran as far as I could from that call for fear that it might actually be what I was supposed to do with my life. (laughs) And um, and so my first call was at 17. Um, And then the what I call the his second call to me was in my early 30s. That's when I knew it was time. Awesome. Um, now when you, when you got that call and I, I've asked this for a few people, um, when you got that call, did you feel as though it was a, an aha moment or was this more of a gradual thing or, and you said you had, you know, the first call at 17 and then the second calling later on in life, did those differ at all or did it, was it the same? They were very different. And, you know, really truthfully, if I, if I go farther back, at about age four and five, the the older ladies in the church used to tell my mom and dad and would tell me, you're going to be a great little preacher, Paul, when you grow up. <laughs> that was not a God call. That was just somebody's practical joke, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but the the call at 17 was a, um, a, a strong sense, and it was almost as if God was saying, Paul, you know this is what I want you to do with your life. Yeah. And he was trying to be gentle with me, but even at that, it still created panic in my heart. Sure. In the 30s, it was more of a a, a second invitation, and I was ready to grab at it that time mm-hmm. um, because I was in a different place spiritually um, at that moment. So they were different in that sense. That sure. One was his trying to call me out, and the other was just an acknowledgement, hey, it's still there, and I, I was ready to go. Awesome. Did on those on those calls um was it a like a clear cut you knew god was speaking or was this something that you had to wrestle with um obviously from 17 the the panic ensued there but uh like when at 30 when you were like yeah that's that's what i'm supposed to do was there a wrestling with it at all or did you just go yeah that's that's it when when that second call came i was attending um the lot and first church of nazarene and it was very, it was very clear to me that um, that God was speaking to me again, and the reality was He was calling me into full time ministry, and I I remember knowing knowing certainly that that's what He was saying to me, and I and it was as if He was speaking into my spirit. It wasn't audible, um, though I have had that event with with God, but this was not that moment. It was a it was a sense of knowing that that the time had come and and in my spirit he was just affirming that um so it was kind of that moment of it was so clear i couldn't deny it i couldn't escape it my wife knew it had happened 
um, even before I mentioned it to her, it was one really? of those kind of moments. There was a, nice. she noticed something, you're about to tell me something, and yes, <laughs> I was. So. so, you got the second call in your 30s. You were still in the military then at that point, right? Yes. So, how did you handle getting that call while being in the military? Did, what, did that change things? What, what happened there? Well, I began to pursue the ministerial course of studies, and um, while while being um, full-time in the military, um, being a, a husband, we now had, um, we were getting ready, well, we were soon to be married. We were married in 89, Lisa and I, mm-hmm. and so all these things were happening kind of together. Um, I began to go and take classes in the early 90s um, in preparation for um the the ministry and took them locally took some online Mm -hmm. some that i had already accomplished through military training through um having a couple of college degrees took care of some of it and so it was it was several years of of that kind of juggling multiple balls as as we went through it yeah now with our let's see did you feel the call to be a pastor or because you're in the military, because I know in the military, you can be a chaplain and different things like that. Was there any inkling to try and do that at all? Never felt any prompting to do that at all. Um, the military career, I was an artillery officer, and that was that was pretty clearly what that lane was for me. Um, this call to ministry, I knew it was to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, having, having watched my dad do it, um, growing up in that home, I'm now a fourth-generation Nazarene pastor in, in the Metcalf line, I knew that that's what it was um, when the call came. And to be honest, I, I never even considered any other venue. It was just simply, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a pastor. Um, so th- what was left was just taking care of all the requirements and getting myself in a position to be able to be used by God in that way. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so you're pastoring in Walters, Oklahoma. How long have you been there? We're in our 17th year. Okay. You've been there quite a while then. Yes. Seen ups and downs, strikes and gutters. You bet. Um, what, if you're looking at some of the things that have gone on at your church, what are some things that just, they just clicked, they worked, that were just great and you saw God move? What, what were some of the, some of the events there that, that would happen? Oh, as I think back, there's, um, we transitioned, I was sharing with Scott Ramsey earlier today, we transitioned from a Sunday morning Sunday school to a Wednesday night discipleship class concept. And this was about six or seven years ago. And it, it's still working, and it's just been an incredible thing for us. I'm not suggesting that should be done in every setting, yeah. but it was uniquely time for that to happen in Walters. And, and um, we've had a steady youth group that's been involved on Wednesday nights, and, and we just kind of turned and oriented ourselves towards that as our if you will, Sunday school, but it happens yeah. on Wednesday night. We call it discipleship classes. Sure. And um, and it's really been a great benefit, and that's still ongoing now, um, you know, six or seven years later, and, and still powerful. We began something, I guess it was about eight years ago, we started something called Summer Sunday Nights, and we took all the, the summer Sunday evenings, and instead of going to the church, we went to individual homes, and fellowship together, broke bread there. The family, the host family would give a devotion. It, it's just been fantastic. That's um, pretty awesome. It's had some ups and downs in attendance, but 
but it's really been a great way to take the church out of the building yeah, absolutely, and take it to where the people are. And it's a non-threatening place. People can invite friends and family yeah. um, to come because you're in somebody's backyard having a cookout or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's really been a, um, an awesome thing that we've done now for, man, several years as well. Awesome. I got a question for you about discipleship because this topic seems to be getting brought up time and time and time again in my life. And uh, we... We just completed a discipleship class, my wife and I did, uh, teaching that. And when you look at discipleship, I had this conversation with my pastor. I think a lot of times we look at discipleship as just education. And we'll throw a class at it or whatever. And in teaching that, uh, we're finding that it's not just education, that there's a partnering that has to come alongside a mentorship that needs to take place. Um, what are, Do you guys have that? in your church with your discipleship or I mean, how do you guys do it? I think that you're right. Education in and of itself, and I I'm on a school board, but education in and of itself is never really going to be the end product of anything. Yeah. It's only a preparation to do something Sure. and educating people about the, the way of the cross and what it means to, to be a, a servant and to be a, a follower of Christ and, I prefer that over Christian. I think I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but what right. all that means is is good to to be taught, but then it's got to be um, caught. Mm-hmm. And and I think people catch discipleship when they watch it modeled by other people. Yeah. And that's the mentoring mentorship role where somebody is modeling Christian behavior, mm-hmm. Christian attitude, qu- Christian action, and somebody else is catching it. Sure. Instead of it's being taught, they're catching what's going on. So I like the idea of things are better when they're caught instead of taught. And and I think there's something to that. Yeah. Um, we're doing some of that. We're, I've got a, a, some young ladies that come on Sunday afternoon, and we just sit together around the kitchen table with my daughter, who's 18 now. And we just we just ask questions and talk about things and, and put them in a biblical context. And sure. then... What, what does that look like today? What would, yeah. How would we do that? What, the question is, what does that mean? You know, how do we live that out? So a lot of it is, is in that teaching, but, but it's also in how my wife models um, the, the heart of a servant in the way she cares for our special needs son. Um, the ladies of the church, the young, the young, the teenage girls that come and watch Lisa what an incredible example of what it means to be Christ-like in loving someone that is dependent on us for everything, our errand boy. And she does such a beautiful job. That is Christ-like modeling. That's mentoring. And it is discipling. You're discipling someone. And how do you live out loving people in Jesus' name? So I think there's something to be said for that, the, the mentoring, modeling, what it means to serve Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I think about it too, like when... Let's say you're going to you're going to get into a sport. You've never played it before and you want to see how it's done. I'm going to go watch a professional, someone who is doing this so I can know what it looks like when it's done correctly. Um, now, if I go and watch someone that does it incorrectly, I'm probably going to pick up on their bad habits as well. Um, but watching a professional, someone who is doing it properly, that's always the best way to teach it. Um, so that's pretty sweet. Now we were talking earlier today about men and women fulfilling their roles as God created that. 
Um, do you guys have anything like a men's or women's ministry uh, going on that might model that at all? We have a, a really um, a really good women's ministry that's going on, and what they're doing in their in their gatherings they they do this monthly is when they talk about things and and do devotions they they look at things from a woman's perspective sure and so the younger ladies that are coming are seeing this is what a woman's perspective should be in on this on this biblical truth on this reality in the world that we live in so there's a lot that's good that's going on there mm-hmm. um our men's ministry is not at that point right now. Those things are not happening. One of the things that concerns me, though, is the realization, as you and I talk, that men are being forced into a new mold, and it's not manly. It's um, it's something other than what genuine manhood is intended to be. Yeah, and that's a great concern. Um, because God had a had intentionality about what he did. It's not an accident that God created man and woman. It's not an accident that he ordained something called marriage. Yeah. It's not an accident that he allows us to be part of the creative process through procreation. These are not accidents. This is all intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And when we can model the healthy ways that that's lived out for the next generation, we give them a step up. Some of us maybe didn't have, um, but it doesn't mean we can't pass it on. We can't leave it. I like to think we ought to leave things better than we found them. Sure. And so if we can be teaching that, whether it's in the youth group, young married couple, um, just teaching the ideas and the ways and modeling what it means to follow Christ through the trials, through the difficulties, and what it means to follow Christ as a man or as a woman. And, and the uniquenesses of that, though we are all following Christ, it is uniquely different the way that we come to that yeah. because we are wired differently. And there's no yeah. there's no reason to fight against that because it's just a truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all have different backgrounds, you know, that the point B is still the same. It's just, you know, I might take a little bit different path or detour or whatever it might be to get there. Um, but uh, now we're talking about being a man and and what that looks like uh, and I agree I, there's a, there's a concern nowadays that there's a what was it what did you say earlier I love the word an over sissification of yeah, sissification of yeah, America it's yeah. a great it's a great word um, but what are some what are some things that you are wanting to pass along to the next generation to, about being a man and those different things how God wired us and things like that that maybe some of these guys are missing completely well when you when you go back and study um, scripture especially looking into the Old Testament in in the original design you find that that God had had created men to be hunters and gatherers we we had a we were wired to provide Mm -hmm. to go out and and to do that which was necessary so that others could sustain life could live and um, in today's society, especially here in in, um, in the United States, there's a the reality is people really don't have to hunt and gather, but they can still provide because there's a grocery store, there's a corner market. Um, it's it's different, but but the way that we live out our manhood is probably best seen in the way that we serve 
um, the women that are in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, a real man is a servant to to his wife, to his his mother, to the women that are in his life, and un- and sees himself in that way. That I am here to protect and provide and to serve, not to be served, um, not to be the Lord over them, yeah. but to to protect and provide and to serve. So probably the role of, of servant, which I think servant leadership is about the greatest way to lead in anything, yeah. and it certainly works in the home. Um, so if we could teach young men today that that being a servant is part of the model of being a man, and how they how they come to the relationship with their with their girlfriend wife as that grows should be from that of how can I serve you? Yeah. How can I help you? How can I be what you need me to be as a leader and a role model in the home? Um, so that might be something that we could be passing down is, is how to serve in this role as, as husband, father. Um, and, and I think that that would be a powerful thing that we could start yeah. is just this idea of serving. And then, and then the realization that your time does matter and what you do with it. We all have the same amount of time, but we don't use it as wisely, some of us as others. That's true. And if you have a role, if if in your life today, if you are blessed to be a husband and even more blessed to be a father, then you need to be giving that the time that it deserves. Sure. It's not the last thing you think of. It's not an ad hoc. It's not a secondary. It should be a primary focus in your life. How do I do this? How do I how how do I live out my role as husband to the best of my ability? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be an average guy at this. I don't want to be just in there. I want to be the best. Yeah, absolutely. Husband I can be. I want to be the best father and best dad that I can be. And and t- being a servant and then giving it the time that it deserves would be some ways that that could be lived out. I think man, I think if we can get those two things down, we got it. You know, I I think a lot of things would fall into place after that. And I think a lot of times too, you look at scripture where it, t- it tells women, you know, it gives them one sentence, of course, cause that's all they need to stew over, <laughs> but it gives us a whole page, yeah. you know? And so it's, it's almost kind of like, God's like, I know that they're going to be able to figure this out from the one sentence. You guys need a page. Cause you're going to try to get out of this and whatever. Yeah. Look at angles. Yeah, absolutely. So, but when we look at it and I think a lot of times women, look at men and they don't see that. And because they don't see that they got a lot of issues with their one sentence of submitting to their husbands. And they wrestle with that because they don't see, they don't look at the the guy and go, yeah, he'll serve me. No, they look at a guy and go, well, I guess that'll do, you know, it's, it's not, I don't know. I think a lot of times women have a problem with that because we're not fulfilling those roles. Yeah. I think, I think their role of submission bounces off of our our roles of being trustworthy of being um, obedient to the father ourselves if if we don't create the 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 feeling of trust and confidence that they can have in us then it's difficult to be submissive to someone that you don't trust yeah because the problem with the lack of trust is a lack of respect when you can't respect someone, you certainly don't follow them well. Yeah. And submission is a function of following. And so you don't want to follow someone you can't trust or you don't respect. Mm-hmm. So we as men 
really need to read what God has said to us and realize we're supposed to treat them as Christ was treating the church and gave himself for the church. That's a level of trust and respect. Nobody in the body of Christ looks at Christ and says, I don't trust you and I don't respect you. Yeah. That's ludicrous. Yeah. Well, but how many homes does the wife look at the husband and say, really, I don't trust you and I'm not sure I respect you. Mm-hmm. There, there's your problem. Um, if, if we're not living our lives out correctly, they find it incredibly difficult to submit to someone that hasn't earned that through trust and respect. So, Now, I've had the question asked to me before, and so I want to hear your take on this. Uh, it was asked me by a lady who was in a marriage that was not going great, um, and she was really wrestling with an issue to uh, submit to her husband. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of what was happening there necessarily, but she said, do I have to submit even if he's not loving me like Christ loved the church? Um, and so that was a, that was an interesting question that I, I had to step back and go, that's a great question. You know, is, is it, how, what, what is your opinion on that? Well, I, I would say that, um, the answer is yes. And, and the reason is is your submission is actually, you're submitting to him in the way that we as the body of Christ submit to Christ. So your role is not without the spiritual component as well. Mm -hmm. And we we are to submit to Christ at all times. Christ has given himself for us. We don't always respect that. And we certainly don't always deserve. In fact, rarely do we ever measure to the point of, of being where we ought to be to where Christ can say, yeah, man, Nick, that's, you are right on, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he still loves that. us and he still gave his life for us. Sure. So I think the submission has to be a decision that is made with them and Christ say, I am going to submit and by submission, trust that with the spirit of God, that this man can be changed. Um, and my loving submission can be used by God to turn his heart toward home, to change his passions, um, to change his desires, to reorient him, to cause him to become a man that's worthy of trust and respect. Um, so I would encourage that. I would never encourage someone to stay in a place where they can be hurt. Yeah, it yeah, would be unsafe. Yeah, right. But So, okay. You got, you said you got two calls when you're in ministry and you go back and if you could go back to the 17 year old and go back to the 30 year old, uh, each, each separate, if you could go back and give them snippet of advice of what, you know, what to do at 17, what to do at 30 that you would have maybe done differently or what, you know, hindsight's always 20, 20, what would be some advice you would give young Paul? The, the 17-year-old, I, I would have said to him, you know, you really don't know what you don't know. <clears throat> because I thought I knew something that I didn't know. Yeah. I thought that I knew what was best for me, and it was anything but ministry. I mean, <laughs> I was convinced that ministry is a lonely, financially bankrupt, heartbreaking lifestyle. I want nothing to do with it. Yeah. See, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I, my ignorance was, in some sense, bliss for me. Yeah. So I would say to Paul, 
at 17, really, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and what you think you feel is not going to prove to be accurate. Yeah. To the 30-year-old, I would say, well, what took you so long? <laughs> um, and, and it's about time. Yeah. And now move with a sense of urgency into the call that you clearly know. And um, because I think at any point in our lives, when we know that we have been called, and I was just having this conversation with a dear friend of mine this afternoon in his pickup, so I won't mention the name. But when I had that conversation, my, my statement was, when we know that God is moving, then we are not right if we don't move with him. Mm-hmm. We don't have permission to, to just be the drag into the thing and say, no, I'm not going. If God's moving and he's opening a door, and then we need to step in and move with him. And that is what is called obedience. So, and if we don't, that's what's called disobedience. Yeah, you're stepping out. You're behind light. You're you're disobedient to what he's calling you to. So, sure. yes, sure. Um, I, a lot of times people, I think, um, I'll I'll talk with them and they'll say, well, you know, I'm not I'm not called to minister. Um, and a lot of times I think people think that ministering only occurs if you're called to be a pastor or called to be a missionary. Um, but what can you think of any examples of people that maybe that, you know, or examples that you've seen where people were called to minister, but they weren't called to necessarily be a pastor or a missionary? Oh, I can give you a number of them. <laughs> Jimmy Kinder, good friend of mine, is a farmer. He serves on some of the highest boards in the state of Oklahoma in the farming industry. Mm-hmm. And it is a ministry for him when he serves on those boards. The way he conducts himself, the godly wisdom that he provides to those organizations, it's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, John Morgan, school teacher, teaches um, math to um, seventh graders. It's a ministry if you perceive that God has called you and gifted you and you're giving it back to him, then it's ministry. Mm-hmm. He's in ministry at the middle school in Walters, Oklahoma. Um, we could just go on and on. Sure. Ministry is occurring. In fact, I think you touched on something, Nick. I would say to a person that says that ministry happens in the church, I'd say you've got that just only almost completely backwards. <laughs> ministry happens outside the church. Yeah. Inside the church is where we are equipped. We get our wounds are bound up. We're loved. We're encouraged. We're empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, those things happen in the building. Yeah. And outside the building is ministry. Yeah. The mission field is not inside the building. Obviously, it's outside the building mm-hmm. where where people are hurting and they're desperate and they're they're living and dying without Christ. That's the mission field. Yeah. So everybody's in ministry. I've got a good friend um, whose name is Scott. He's in ministry with a glass business, with a, with a business that, that helps with condos and other things and does maintenance. It's all ministry. Yeah. Everything's ministry if your heart's right and if you perceive that, that you are part of God's plan for the place you live in, for the space that you're occupying— Hey, I'm part of God's plan, so I might as well get with it. That yeah. is ministry. If I love somebody in Jesus' name, Matthew 25, just a cup of water in my name. If, if you clothe them, if you feed them, if you go and visit them when they're in prison, when they're in the hospital, it is all ministry. Yeah. So 
I mean, I just think that we've got a a misdirected view of ministry, and we probably did it to ourselves. We be in the church world, yeah, and and we should undo it to ourselves. We should probably change that that method of thinking to where we really begin to honestly say ministry is everything that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Driving a school bus, what a great place to be in ministry. Yeah. Working at a high school um, cafeteria, what a great way to be in ministry. Um, pumping gas, there's all kinds of great ways to be in ministry because you're meeting people, you're touching people. That's where ministry happens. Where two people get together, there's the potential for ministry yeah. to, to just show up and blow up right there. Absolutely. So ministry is happening all over. Well, I think and one thing, too, that's really cool is that if you're, it's almost like God goes, hey, I need to reach some kids or I need to reach some faculty at this school over here. How am I going to reach those people? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take this guy who says he's a teacher and a believer I'm going to place him there and I'm going to tell him, I'm going to call him to win his world because we're all called to do anyway. That's right. Uh, and you know what? Those people can't get away for however many hours of the day they can't get away because they're at their job. Yeah. Um, I think of, <laughs> I love this idea. Paul's in prison in scripture. He's in prison and there's guards that have to go and watch him. And I mean, there's, there's theories about this. I don't really know, but I love the idea that Paul's chained to this guy for how long and the guy can't get away, even if he wants to. So what does Paul do? He starts talking to him about Jesus. He evangelizes him. Sure. Yeah. And, and so some people think that that is how Rome was won because Paul would have a new guy every so many hours talk there. He's not going to sit there and be silent. No, (laughs) not if you've ever read anything he wrote. No, that wasn't his style. No. And so he's going to be talking the guy's ear off, telling him how Jesus moves in his life, uh, telling him what what has happened and what even in the jail cell, what is happening. And in doing that, he's going to eventually I don't want to say wear him down, but he's going to the guy's going to get here to the point. He's even if he tries to block it out, he's going to hear it. And the guards were one supposedly. And then they went out. And spread that good news to other yes. people. And it's it's amazing to think about that in a jail cell with one guard yeah. and how much opportunity do we have every day right. um, to meet so many people. And, you know, if we just if we could just view our day as an opportunity to plant seeds oh, man. and just, you know, walked around with this idea that I got a pocket full of seeds. Um, where do I plant them? And. And just begin as you as you encountered people at the at the taco truck at um at a, at the gas station in line at that awesome donut shop, um, and you're just planting seeds all mm-hmm. along your day and and um and with everyone that you meet, that is ministry. Yeah, um, just planting seeds. So. And sometimes sometimes we have the good fortune to see those seeds come to fruition, and we get yeah. to harvest. And see that happen. Uh, see people come to know Jesus, come to uh, going from have the shift occur. I think this is a significant thing we were talking about the other day with someone. But when the shift occurs from their taking to going to giving. And when that occurs, then they, they then go from being discipled to discipling then. Um, we don't always see that. But sometimes we're not meant to see that. Right. Um, which it can be difficult sometimes because I feel like a lot of times, you know, you go and you try to plant seeds as much as possible and then you're sitting there going, 
where's the harvest? You know, I've planted all these seeds, you know, and, but you got to think about it. Look at, look at Paul, look at the disciples who planted churches. They preached how many sermons they did miracles and, and they, I'm sure they stepped back sometimes and went, I'm doing all this in your name, but I don't see any change sometimes. It's got to get frustrating, but we don't do it for us. Right. Um, and and if the if if the call is the call, then the call's the call, whether things are going well or things are going poorly. Yeah. Whether you're seeing results or you're not seeing results, the call is still the call. Yeah. And and so you're either answering the call or you're not. Mm-hmm. Um and we, we should leave the harvest up to the God who said he's responsible for it, and we should just do what he's called us to do. Mm-hmm. And not, not become discouraged in that effort, but be reminded that it's not ours to, to create harvest. We're just to plant and water, and God will cause the increase to occur. And so, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, too, um, we we will lose focus and we, we talked about this briefly earlier. We'll lose focus on why we're doing what we're doing. Um, it should always be Jesus. And if it's not, then it's time to take a step back and reevaluate, you know, because if it's, if it's not him, he always delivers. Right. He, he, yeah, he's, he's never had an off day. Nobody's ever gone. Well, Jesus was, yeah, it's a Wednesday. He's off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. His failure rate is is phenomenal, yet we continue to think he can't handle the next crisis of our life yeah. when he has, in fact, never failed. Yeah. Well, and I, on one of the earlier episodes, I talked with a good friend of mine, uh, Nathan Johnson, and he, he has a saying, and I'm sure that you've heard this before, but uh, he's really trying to adopt it more, is instead of telling your God how big your problems are, Start telling your problems how big your God is, um, and, and throwing the throwing the success and failure rate maybe at it too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but we continue to doubt a lot of times. And I think I think a lot of times we we step back and we and you know God's call, God's calling me to this huge task and there's just no way that I can do it. You're right. You can't. Um. And I can't stand the the whole phrase of. Uh, God never calls you or, or, or uh, puts any more on you than you can handle. Of course he does. If you can handle it. Then you don't need him. You don't, you don't yeah. need God. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what, it was really great talking with you. Thanks and for you. taking time out of your day to talk with me. I've enjoyed it. It's been yeah. good. It's always good, man. Always good talking about Jesus. And uh, do you have any shameless plugs any ministries you want to talk about um say hi to your wife and kids whatever it may be that you would like to talk about well i could always say hi to lisa and and my errand boy and um and they should be at home doing well um say hi to adam and carrie my other kids and caitlin's here with me um it's been good to be in ohio it's been good to be um here for graduations of friends that we've ministered with now for five years in 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 ministry settings that are missional um that's been awesome and i encourage anyone that has an opportunity to do anything um that's outside your normal little box or bubble or your world um to take a chance trust god step out there and do it um 
ministry is happening and you'd sure hate to be the one to miss out. Yeah. And, um, ministry is awesome when you do it cross culturally. Um, mm -hmm. especially when you don't know what you're doing because trust me, God does yeah. and he'll take care of that. So if you have an opportunity do something in Christ's name and, and let him receive the glory for it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, have a safe trip back to Oklahoma. We'll do it. And, uh, We'll look forward to talking to you again. Maybe I have to bug you again for another interview. That'd be great. All right. Thank Thanks you, again. Uh -huh. Thanks for listening in today. Don't forget to check us out online at LegacyHelms.org or any of our other platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Player FM. Please subscribe and write a review for us. We want to hear what you have to say. If you need t-shirts for your next big event, we've got you covered. Visit us on the website and click on the t-shirt quote page under t-shirts. If you would like Nick or Kendra to preach at your next retreat, revival, or camp, fill out the contact us form online under preaching. If you want to send us an email and get in contact with us, please do so and send it to legacyhelms at gmail.com. And as always, remember, don't let your meat loaf or your mop flop.